FantasyGuru.com is your guide to a fantasy football championship. From novice to expert, FantasyGuru.com has the data, tools, content, and experience to help you build and maintain the greatest fantasy football team ever. Over the last 28 years, FantasyGuru.com has built the largest active fantasy sports community, and they're not stopping now. Whether you want to read in-depth breakdowns of every NFL team offensive and defensive system, learn the impact offensive lines have on running back, or just need new ideas on the best way to start a fantasy football league, fantasyguru.com has the answers for you. Join our community today and receive 20% off your membership by using the promo code RADIO20. That's R-A-D-I-O-2-0 for 20% off your membership at fantasyguru.com. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by Michter's American Whiskeys and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. Woo! We've got some fun stuff coming up to include some great, great bourbon. Our guest today is the executive producer of movies like The Hangover, 300, uh, Independence Day, He's behind uh, the financing or the creation of so many blockbusters that you have seen. His name is Bill Fay. And Bill Fay, or William Fay, as his Wikipedia and IMBD page will tell you, Bill Fay is a guy that is, you just want to sit down and listen to him talk and talk and talk and talk, especially if you have a love for cinema like I do. I learned more about the movie business than I ever thought imaginable on this uh, episode. And we also tasted some good whiskey. And a little bit of breaking news here for you, too. Bill Faye's throwing his hat into the Distilled Spirits game. So you're going to get to hear that first on the Fred Minnick Show. And I'm excited for you to check out this interview with uh, Bill Fay. But first, a word from our sponsors. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller Dan McKee and our master of maturation Andrea Wilson say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to Michter's.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single barrel and small batch whiskey. 
hard made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291coloradowhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly. Joining the Fred Minnick Show is uh, Bill Fate. Now, full transparency, everybody. Bill and I, we share a lawyer. We share a lawyer in Brian Shaw. So, you know, Bill, this is probably going to be one of the rare moments where, you know, two people share a lawyer and they're going to say nice things about him. I love, I love Shaw. I mean, that guy's, <laughs> that guy's like the best lawyer a fella could ask for. Brian Shaw's getting a good shout out here. Yeah, how long? <laughs> how long? Great. How long he have you worked together. with him? What's, what... How long have you worked with him? Uh, actually, Brian's Brian's been a friend for a very long time, um, and but we've only been working together for just the last couple of years, really, since um, we started this new company. Oh Brian, wow! Uh, Brian took handles our uh, legal on that. Yeah, he's uh, he's just a great guy, and you know. He's uh, he introduced us, of course, and I'm really glad he did, so we could get you on the show. And you know, anybody can go, ch you know, take a look at your uh, IMBD page and just see the the A-list shows, the A-list movies that you've you've produced over the years, from 300 to Independence Day to probably my favorite of everything you've done, The Hangover. And we're going to talk about all that. Uh, you know, why would that possibly be your favorite, Fred? I don't understand. <laughs> I, I laughed when I watched The Hangover for the first time. I I laughed so hard, my side hurt like the next day. I mean, it was like, it was like the best like comic relief that I could, I've ever had. It was amazing. But when when you're on a set like that, do you just like start busting out laughing? I mean, how do you? I mean, do you like you know it's coming? But is it still funny to you in the moment when you're like on the set? Absolutely. It's it's because I mean, especially on the hangover, we just had so many great actors. If you look at the three guys and Ken Jong and the whole the whole crowd. So it may be funny and you may have laughed when you read the script, but when you watch it live, it's uh it's yeah. The, the crew is always busting out laughing. And if, if you're lucky, nobody is busting out laughing in the middle of the scene. All right. So there's a, there's a scene where you have an actor, an older fella. They're in the they're in the hospital and he's completely nude. And like the the they're, they're going into the room and everyone's, you know, he's dropped trout, just everything. I don't know how you all did not just die laughing that you could just you could feel like the the energy from like Bradley Cooper, everybody just like wanting to just like bust out laughing in what was such a hysterical moment. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't really know how you keep it together with something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredibly fun experience when you work on a comedy like that because it's um, and I haven't done that many comedies. So um, being on the set when you're shooting something like that where there's so much, uh, you know, comic energy going on and there's so much fun to be had. I mean, it's obviously it's a serious um, 
it's serious too. I mean, every day you're trying to beat the light or, you know, there's a problem with a location or some crazy thing of some kind is going on, but, um, but you can really kind of get absorbed into the, the fun of the moment. And it's, it's a great experience, especially when you see um, really good comic actors playing off each other. Yeah, it, it can be a, a lot of fun. But yeah, there's still constantly things coming up. I mean, one of the first days I was on the set was the day that Ken Jeong drump, jumps out of the back of the car trunk. And the script says, you know, jumps out of the, uh, Mr. Chow jumps out of the car trunk, you know, in his whitey tidies and, you know, starts smashing people over the head. And, you know, we were setting it up and everything. And seconds before Ken goes, uh, said to Todd, Todd Phillips, the director, Ken Jeong said, you know, it would be really funny if I jumped out naked. And Todd, of course, went, yeah. And then I'm going, yeah, that sounds great. And then about five seconds later, I go, oh, crap, I've got to call the studio. <laughs> because, because we have a thing called a nudity writer in your contract. And mm -hmm. you did not have a nudity writer for Ken or, or anybody, you know, because we weren't kind of expecting that. So there was a lot of scrambling at the last minute. And of course, Ken went, yeah, let's do it. Um, it was my idea. And so what, it ended up not being a problem, but it's kind of one of those things where you're having a great time and then suddenly you remember you have to be working and figuring out stuff too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, going back to those contracts, you know, we started talking about our lawyer and he, you know, of course he'd be the stickler that calls that out. But uh, what a, what a, what a interesting, what an interesting thought because, you know, we just see, we just see what's put up on, on the screen and, you know, we're really taken into it. But there's so much that goes into producing a movie. I mean, so much. Like, you got to get, you got to, you got to close off streets. You got to rent hotels. I mean, in, you know, you're, when you're in the executive producer role, I mean, you're essentially in charge of everything. You know, you like, you got to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's it's really an amazing operation because every film you do is completely different. It's like you're almost starting a new business. And the mm -hmm. new business is not the same as the last business you did. I mean, when we did Independence Day, you know, I mean, we had to figure out, um, you know, we basically had, I don't know, six or 800 people probably working on the visual effects for that movie. And we were figuring out new stuff and some stuff that hadn't been done before all the time and it's kind of this race to see if the technology is going to get done in time for you to release the movie so it's wow. it can get kind of stressful from that point of view but the great thing about it is you feel like i mean for me i learn something every time i make a movie i mean you you get this amazing education in something that you that you didn't know before when we did the patriot i learned more about the american revolution and especially the american revolution in the southern states than i yeah would ever know in my lifetime and it's kind of this great bonus you get from the job so everything is always a little bit new now on these sets do you ever bring you ever bring bourbon or does anyone ever have like a nice case of uh something good and a trailer oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah are... actors know how to take care of themselves pretty well and they also get the most amazing gifts from everybody you, yeah. They do even better than we do. Yeah. Um, but I've gotten a lot of great booze um, 
from studios and directors and people I've worked with at the end of shows, um, we, we do pretty well. Well, I can um, almost I can almost guarantee you that no one has ever sent the uh, the stuff I sent you. And I'm going to go ahead and go through that, and, and, and we'll keep on going on. Uh, I sent you a Michter's ten year old. It's a very good. Uh, it's a very good bourbon. Ready. It's um, it, it's 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 fantastic. Of course, Michter supports the show. I sent you Henry McKenna, the bottled and bond. Now, this was the winner of the best uh, whiskey at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition in 2019. Mm-hmm. I sent you uh, King of Kentucky. This is the this was the winner of my 2019 Best American Whiskey. I sent you uh, 131 Eagle, proof. That's uh, just serious. just a touch, just a touch of proof. I sent you uh, <laughs> Eagle Rare 10 year old, which you know it used to be a great everyday pour. And now it's very difficult to come by. And I think what is a rising star mm-hmm. in the business, uh, 291 Distillery, out of Colorado. And the headliner of our tasting, uh, what many consider to be the greatest bourbon ever made, the uh, 16-year-old A.H. Uh, Hearst. This is a was distilled in Pennsylvania and bottled in Kentucky, in uh, distilled in 1974, in the spring of 1974. So it's a 16-year-old beauty that many people think is the greatest ever made, and I I'm a really ecstatic to. Uh, um, you know, to tasties with you, Bill. But you're also, you're also jumping in the business, the spirits business. You got, you started a new company. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, it's a, uh, it's based on an invention that a friend of mine from graduate school, who's been one of my best friends ever since, and a couple of people that he works with made. And about five years ago, they were doing. They have 22 patents between them, and they do a lot of um, um, experimenting and coming up with new stuff that then they patent and and sell. And um, about five years ago, they were experimenting with this um, electronic process that was having an effect on alcohols and actually breaking down certain alcohols into other alcohols. And they started experimenting around with it on spirits and found that it was having a really positive effect on it. It was actually smoothing the taste of it and it was bringing out um, different flavors in, in, uh, in the spirit. And they brought it to me. I, you know, I tried it. I was very impressed. Um, wasn't quite sure, you know, I, I didn't trust my own instincts quite well enough. So I mm-hmm. put us all on a plane to Miami and we went down, a friend of mine is uh, at Southern Wine and Spirits. And so we went down to their head um, spirits taster and, um, head of spirits, uh, Rudy Ruiz, who has since retired, and um, tried it for them, and they were very impressed too. So I jumped in with both feet. Um, we're now building out um, the device so that we can actually install it into a distillery, and it, it'll process in real time um, as, it goes through the, as it goes through there. And we've had really great um, response from everybody on it. So, so it's kind of like, it's, it's like a filtration system you know, like after yeah. after the product has been created, it's 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 like mm-hmm. it it's it's like the kind of like they do non chill filtration. You would do you would use your your device instead of uh, chill filtration. Yeah, yeah, and it actually does. I, I mean, it does some very positive things to the spirit. We're anxious to actually experiment um, with doing some 
pre-barreling um, um, processing to see what kind of effect it has on on that. But obviously, that's a, a little bit longer process. Um, so, in terms of seeing what the results are. Yeah. So you've got a. So you guys are just kind of beginning. Is there any? Uh, is there? What have your tests been like? Like, what have you tested it on? We've probably tested on at least 150 different liquors. Mm. Um, everything from the cheapest Trader Joe's Rebel Yell, um, which I confess is pretty nasty, and we make it quite a bit less nasty. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's the lipstick thing. Um, to uh, like, we've tried it on a bottle of Hibiki, a $700 Hibiki, and it it actually can smooth and improve that too. So it's really kind of, um, um, it's an interesting process because every liquor is a little bit different. You kind of have to experiment around with it and see what the, what the exact right amount of processing time is. But the fact that we can do it fast enough that we can actually do it as a flow through device in the distillery makes it something that's, you know, really kind of commercially viable. And, mm. you know, we just started talking with distillers. We're getting a great response from the first couple that are ready to start using it right away. Um, but we only have one machine so far, the prototype, and now we need to actually build out a bunch more, which we're doing over the next few months. That's very interesting. There's nothing like being in demand uh, starting out of the gate. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty fascinating. So it's a you... lot of fun too. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a great change for me. I mean, it's definitely different from the movie business. Um, so does but, this mean, you know, does, it's, does your transference over here, does that mean you're kind of like stepping away from movies? Uh, not completely. Movie yeah. business is too much fun. Yeah. I've got a couple things that are still in development. I'm actually working on a, on a, um, stage musical right now too. That's based on a, based on a movie. We're just securing the rights for that. So yeah, I'm going to keep my foot in that, but, um, certainly at least short term, I'm, I'm, I'm full on in this and, and we're having a great time with it. That's awesome. And, and what are, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about this as we're going, but do you, do you see any similarities between the spirits business and the movie business? Yes. Um, they're, they both tend to attract a lot of pretty big personalities, which I think is kind of interesting. And um, so I, I think that's that's a little bit of a similarity. And okay. um, certainly the fact that, that marketing is such a critical part of the business, um, that's certainly true with movies too. I mean, it's it's a critical part. If, if the marketing team hasn't figured out a way to get people to show up to our movies, it, it the fact that the movie's good is not going to make that much of a difference. You got to wow. get them to show up. Well, let's go ahead and start with our first pour. We're going to start with the Eagle Rare. Okay. Yeah, you know, I I think that's fascinating that you bring up the marketing because like, you know, as as like a a, a bit of a, I I'd say I'm a purist, um, you know, a student of history, and you see so much like false like false history being you know played off in, in history of whiskey with brands that it just gets it gets exhausting and you see and you see it you see a little bit of it with movies too like they'll just take like one one thing and like run with it like they'll take like a like a, a the one clip where everything hits and they just run it over and over and the movie's right. just horrible just horrible 
And then oh you'll yeah, see... no, there. That's uh, the movie business is famous for that. For that, you see a trailer, and the movie's never as good as the trailer, right? And sometimes the movie's better than the trailer. You know, it's like, and there's like nothing to it. And and I think that's why there might be such a passion for independent films. You know, because they don't have the marketing budget, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of good quality there. Yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. So have I ever taken you through a little bit, bit of my tasting regimen before? I know we've chatted no, a few you times. Haven't. But... Oh, by the way, I have to show you. I've got um, I've got official Bourbon Trail whiskey glasses. Oh, fantastic. Glasses. Right on. So this is, uh, I, I like the Glencairn. It's my, it's my favorite glass to kind of nose and taste with. Uh, and I like to start the process with by just analyzing the color. And, you know, the color, when it goes into the barrel, it's as clear as the water from your tap, and every single day it's working in and out of that wood. And, you know, to me, this is like where we kind of like notice the art. You know, you just you just see some beauty in it. And this is this has got a really nice, it's kind of like a rustic, uh, just a shade under amber for me. And it's just a beautiful color. And I just like looking at it. And, mm-hmm. and like, you can see... Um, when something hasn't been filtered, sometimes you can see like little like uh, white waves kind of flowing through. You know, that's like the flocking. It's like the fatty acids that are just kind of float. You know, just kind of chilling. And um, and so sometimes too, you might see a particle here or there. But uh, you know, it's just fun to look at. And so I like to look at it swirled around. Bring it to the nose. When I bring it to the nose, I like to open your mouth. That way you can pick up more than just like the alcohol fumes. It's kind of like go all around the nose, up, down, side by side. And this is definitely smelling, um, this is definitely smelling like, you know, some custard, vanilla custard-ish, kind of like uh, some sweet, Sweet potato pie. I was gonna say like a little butterscotch or something. It's very light though. It's it's, it's ne- definitely it's, got a light. It's yeah. Nice. It's not it's not jumping out. You got to work at it a little bit. And then when you taste, you just want to put a uh. little bit on the palate, kind of feel it like walk back a little bit. What do you think of our opening act here? It's nice. Very good. It's, it's yeah, it's um, like it's like I mean we're talking about Eagle Rare here, the uh very drinkable. This this used to be like an everyday an everyday product to buy. It's 10 years. You know, they got the age statement there on the back of the label kind of buried. But you know, this was used to be something you'd find in the store all the time. And you know, those mm-hmm. days are gone you know it's there it's difficult to get now but when i see it i buy it it's it's a good product it's it's really nice it's it 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 it's very light in a way and it's kind of got a little cinnamon or something something to it as i mentioned to you i i it's it's a little intimidating for me to be testing with you it's it's like a pro basketball player asking me how i'm how i'm gonna how i you know how i (laughs) 
how I break down the, uh, the, the zone defense. Well, I, I, I would tell you like, this is, it is, this is, this is something that we can all train ourselves to do just to taste and, uh, and smell. And, but I've, I've, I consider myself the luckiest guy in the world, you know, to have had the opportunity to get into this space and then to kind of grow it outside of, uh, outside of spirits. And, you know, I mean, if you'd have told me when I was watching the hangover, I was going to be interviewing Bill Faye drinking over some whiskey one day, I'd have been like, get out of here. You know, I mean, to me, this is, this is the privilege I have is getting these kinds of opportunities. And it's awesome. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, you know, I, I would I, I, hope I, I don't come off great, too intimidating. Uh, we can all agree that you've got a great gig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate but I that. I do too, so. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're we're living the dream. And what I've been saying lately, we're living the dream and the grind. You know, because if you're not grinding, mm -hmm. you're not dreaming. So the next one we want to go to is going to be the Henry McKenna. And uh, so basically the first uh, first thing we're going to do is we are we're doing a taste off between 10 year olds the eagle rare the mictors and the mckenna and uh we're, we're gonna pick a 10 year old champion if you will and as we oh kind boy. of what's that I the said, oh boy the mckenna yeah so as we kind of like uh, get into okay, this so... I, I i the one of the the show that probably I think that you, the movie that you worked on that had the, that may, in my opinion, had the greatest impact on the movie industry was 300. Like after that kind of, you know, cinematography that, uh, that the, the graphics in there and everything, you know, the close ups and, and just like, combining the visuals with with humans um you just started seeing so many movies like that and 300 really i mean that changed that changed how movies were made in so many ways what was it like working working on uh on that film it was uh it was an amazing experience um First of all, interesting side note, we shot it in Montreal, Canada, in the middle of winter in a big studio warehouse. There's only one exterior shot in that entire movie. Oh, the rest wow. of it was shot in this giant warehouse. So we had a bunch of guys in leather Speedos running around, and it was 5 or 10 degrees below zero outside every day. So quite interesting. But um, it, it was amazing. It was um, um it was one of those things where it was all the, the, the vision of Zack Snyder, the director, and, you know, taking that material, um, you know, the original 300 um, graphic novel um, that is so in, in amazing and turning it into a film. And he really, his goal was to make the movie feel like a graphic novel in every way. And I mean, if you go through the graphic novel, you'll see, um, you'll see so many scenes that are almost, in fact, I have a few posters of it where we've got the graphic novel juxtaposed to the movie and, and it's almost the exact same shot. Even that thing where you see the, 
slow, slow motion, and then the blood splatting out, and then, like the blood freezing in the air for a second. That's all Zach trying to recreate that graphic novel feel. Um, it's interesting. Um, the studio originally, you know, they had made Alexander, I think, or Troy, it was, which cost two hundred fifty million and had Brad Pitt and all that crazy stuff. And they their first thought was, there's no way you can make this movie for, you know, a quarter of that amount, and um, or less than a quarter. Now that I think about it, and um, and. I don't think anybody could quite envision what they had in mind. So, um, you know, we were um, talking with Zach, and Zach basically went out and shot a 90-second piece, just one scene, showing how the how it worked. And then everybody saw that and went, "Oh, now we get it!" Wow. <laughs> you know, that that really was what put it over the top of the studio is that little 90-second piece where you can kind of see it was Leonidas going through and you know, slashing and the and that the, that kind of super speed camera, um, variable camera frame thing that that really that really sold it. And then the rest, in terms of the look of it, was again Zach working with a team. There was one guy that's just this incredibly talented artist, and his job was to draw the backgrounds, create the backgrounds that are put into every scene. As I said, the entire thing was shot in front of a green screen, pretty much. Wow. So. You know, that guy, uh, Grant Freckleton was his name. It was his job just to create those backgrounds, and he did an amazing job. One other quick thing about it is that he, um, we finished the movie. We thought, man, have we made the ultimate guys movie? Um, and will any women show up to see this movie? I don't know. We did the first test screening. Guys rated it 96%, which is one of the highest scores I've ever seen, like in a test screen, women, 95%. And we wow. went, wow, we got, we got a hit. If this can be a date movie, we've got a hit. Well, it's a good thing you didn't film it outside and the, the fellas in their speedos, you know, so. Oh yeah. It would have been, it would have been a lot. It would have been very embarrassing for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, that just, that movie just was just amazing. And you know what? It's funny, like you said, it's the ultimate guys movie because it's it's in that it's in that like you know bro hangout movie watchathon with like the Godfather for me. So and then like then the sophomoric mm -hmm. Tommy boy, you know. So like there's like uh, it definitely is in that conversation of guys just kind of watching and hanging out. You know, it's a great movie, great movie. Yeah, we had the we had the same thing with. Uh, I mean. The Hangover was the same thing, too, by the way. When we were making that, we thought, you know, women are going to like this, but it's really a guy movie, and how can we possibly ever get to, like, the level of success that something like The Wedding Crashers did, which had two important female characters, and we've got mm -hmm. one important female character, but it's not the same. You're following these guys. And the same thing. When we tested it, women loved it. It was like, yeah, we were always wondering what those guys did when they went off on their on their bachelor parties. Yeah, I think we all just want to laugh too, you know, and if it's uh if it's yeah. funny, it's funny. But um so here we come to the the Henry McKenna. Now this is uh this is one where uh my name is forever attached to it because, you know, I picked it uh as a part of a team that picked it best whiskey and then after that we couldn't find it. 
And believe me, if I could go back in time and tell myself <laughs> not to do that, I probably would. Because this was my this was my daily pour once upon a time, and now I can't get it. So it's my own fault. But you needed to buy about you needed to buy about twenty cases of it first. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. I needed to buy, and then I needed to stock up. But uh, I mean, even in my private yeah, tastings, you're like the guy giving I a. <laughs> I'm what yeah, now? Like the guy giving a great stock tip to everybody before he buys the stock himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish. I wish I took advantage of that stuff, but I don't. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely ahead for me, but that's also my bias is well known for for this one. It's um quite quite tasty. Yeah, delicious. Very flavorful. Got a now, little bit of vanilla smell to it. Now you are you're you're jumping into the spirits business and you know every palate is different but you know the the sweet notes are like on the tip and the the savory is in the middle and then, and then like the bitterness and spice is in the back sometimes you'll get some bitterness in the middle too and sometimes you'll get bitterness on the sides mm -hmm. but it's like understanding where things hit on your palate is 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 everything you know it's the it's it's so important for for the for the training regimen of of like you know becoming a taster in this in this space so right and i remember and, seeing the little thing um when i was a kid they had the, that little diagram of the tongue and the sweetness was on the front of the tongue yeah if i remember but so it's sweet on the front and then and then what in the middle so the middle is kind of like savoriness, so like your breads, your grains, your cornbreads, uh, maybe a pie crust, mm -hmm. you know, things like things that would be savory. Mm -hmm. And then like spice and bitterness will be, uh, spice will be like in the back and the bitterness will be between the middle and the back. And then you also have taste buds in your throat and in your stomach. And those can have an impact on, on the finish. So if like you feel it on the way down, you can taste a little bit of it uh, on the way down and the, the, the length of it on the mm -hmm. being on the palate and what you're still tasting, you know, that's your finish, but it's, uh, tasting spirits is very different than tasting wine and food because of the alcohol percentage. So, um, I'm of the belief that you need to, you need to condition your palate, uh, or in other words, drink a lot of spirits, uh, to understand them. If you come in, without really sipping on a lot of it you know it's just it's just going to be overwhelming and too hot and and it'll blow your head off you know so i mean you take someone mm -hmm. off the street they don't they don't drink you give them uh like pappy van winkle 15 year old which is like you know velvet butter gorgeous and you know they they taste it and it's like um you know they're like, oh my God, this is like burning me up. You know, I mean, they don't get it. You know, so like, I don't think whiskey is for everybody, uh, or fine whiskey is for everybody. I think you gotta, you gotta condition yourself for it. Kind of develop a taste for it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think about. I, I'm sure everybody has the same experience that I had the first time you drink a hard, hard liquor when you're, when you say you're 16 or 15 and you get your hands on some and you go, what? the hell are people drinking this for well i mean i know why they're drinking it but that's right so you have to suffer in order to like get a little bit of a buzz 
You got to you got to you got to train yourself. And, but of course, here on the on the Fred Minnick show, we do not condone the consumption of alcohol for anyone under the age of 21. No, neither does Bill Fay. <laughs> no, and I, I regret I regret making that decision when I was 16. So that's right. So wait till you're 21, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to the Michter's 10-year-old. The 10-year-old oh showdown. Here we go. I, I think I sent you more than I send anybody. I sent you six products. Yeah, I have to see if I can even get it open. Oh, you haven't opened it yet. I should have told you to open it first. No. Oh yeah, this is a... okay. You can keep talking and I'll get it. Yeah, don't don't uh don't get a knife and try and cut it. Be very careful with that. People cut their hands oh. all the time on that. Okay. Oh no, I will definitely watch out. I just got to get it started. I think. Well, this will be the most exciting part of the show, no doubt. The opening of the uh, Michter's 10-year-old. Yeah, you know, when people use wax, which wax does a good job preserving the cork for long-term aging, it is mm -hmm. a tough right? one to get off, you know? It is hard to get off that, right. uh, peel it off. Yeah, well, I'm glad we did this one not too late in the process. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been bad. That's for sure. All right, so when we when we have when we have talked, did you get it? Close? No, I have not gotten it yet. But uh -oh. no, the thing ripped off and so now I don't have anything to grab onto. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to um, I'm gonna, this... I'll press pause here so we can, you can get. I don't want to. I don't okay, want to get you good. this if you want to do that. <laughs> All right. So as you as we pour the uh, Michter's tan, one of the one of the movies that you know when we've had conversations um, that you bring up a lot is is Independence Day, and I've just kind of I won't say that I gathered that it's been it was your favorite movie. But I, I, I sense that it's some, a movie that you were very, very close to. What was it about Independence Day that, you know, kind of hit you there and, and stuck around? Uh, it was a couple of things. It was, the, it was the first big movie that I ever did, okay. which is pretty amazing to start with something like that. So I made a couple of... I started out in the independent film business and then ended up starting to make studio movies, but smaller budget studio films. I did CB4 with Chris Rock, did a movie called Bad Girls. I did a couple of movies for Universal. Um, and um, I got this opportunity, um, was approached by Roland Emmerich, who was the director of it, and Dean Devlin, the writer producer, to um, work with them and actually come in and be president of their company and the first meeting we had once I uh, joined up was them pitching me the story for Independence Day. And um, I guess it had such a huge effect on me because it was the first big movie I did. It was sort of the first really big movie that any of us had done. And we had this incredible, it was like trial by fire, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. We were trying, I, I still say it's the biggest low budget movie in history. We were trying to make this incredibly complicated, amazing looking movie for, um, I mean, it's hard to relate because it all sounds like a ridiculous amount of money, but we made that movie for about $60 million or $65 million, which is a small fraction of what you typically make these kind of big movies for. Um, so everything that we were doing was kind of by the skin of our teeth. And, um, and it was a, um, and it was kind of a very intense, long process, but we had a great time. It was really like we were family. All of us were doing this amazing project. Um, and, and every step of the way, and this happens in the business that I've had a couple of films like this, where it just feels like every step of the way you make the right decision. Like when we were casting, the studio had all sorts of ideas for who they wanted to play the lead, but, but. Roland early on said it's going to be Will Smith, who was, you know, relatively unknown at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And they had everybody, you know, I mean, all sorts of the biggest names in Hollywood that they wanted us to cast in that role. And uh, we stuck with it. And obviously that was the right decision. Um, yeah. Will, Will Smith was then we get on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air at that point. There was not he didn't have. A, yeah. I mean, that was this was a big move for him. Yeah, yeah, no, it really, uh, it really was a, a, um, a big step for him, for sure. And um, then when we got on the set, just seeing the camaraderie with the actors, watching Will and Jeff Goldblum work together, you could just see that there was this energy where it was working. And then we started doing all the visual effects tests, like the first time we did a visual effects test where we saw that mountain of fire or that just that river of fire rolling down the street. And the whole time every month it would build up like we felt like wow we've got something this could be big this could be big this could be big then we finished the movie and we run the first trailer that movie trailer that ever ran on the super bowl and the response was insanity from then from then on it was just insanity i mean we were on this snowball that you couldn't stop and remember we're still working 24 7 on the movie while all this is happening just because we show a trailer at the Super Bowl. The movie's not done. The movie's done like a week before it comes out. Um, so we're working away, but we're seeing all this buzz. And the thing that the one of the things that really struck me is we took it to Las Vegas for the first test screening, mm. and the audience had no idea what they were going to see. And what I'll typically do is I'll sneak into the test audience when they're waiting outside, like in the line, and just kind of listen in to see what they're talking about. And they're all going, "What are we going to see? Is I wonder what it's going to be." Um, maybe it's um, um, Twister. That was also coming out that summer, right? Uh, and they named a couple other movies. Nobody named Independence Day. And I went, wow, this is interesting. So they file into the theater. It, absolutely packed theater. This is for the first test screening. Nobody has any idea what they're seeing. The, the stream, the, the movie starts to roll and the title comes up Independence Day. The entire audience stands up and just cheers for about three minutes they just went insane and we're going oh my god oh my god how is that even possible nobody's even seen any of this movie other than the little bit that's on the trailer but that's like the level of excitement there was and i remember the uh associate producer turning to me and he goes i'm gonna buy a new car <laughs> <laughs> we know that that speech you know that the that they that the president gave in that movie i mean 
I mean, it's arguably the greatest speech in movie history. To be honest with you, I mean, it, you want you want to you want to get the world together. Just have a bunch of aliens coming at us. <laughs> yeah, that seems to solve a lot of a uh, lot of issues, doesn't it? Yeah, we had uh, the, uh, another quick story about that. Is that that um, originally he didn't say the words Independence Day in that speech. Uh, Dean Devlin, the writer put that in because we were in an argument with the studio. They did not want to call the movie Independence Day. They said, ah, it just feels, it doesn't feel sci-fi. And then they came up with 30 titles. They were all horrible that they wanted us to use. And um, we kind of stuck with it. But he felt that if we wrote, you know, him saying, let this day be our Independence Day, that there was no way they could, they could change the title of the movie. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and the funny thing, they were making that argument, and we were saying, the movie's Independence Day. You'll get it from the trailer. The movie's going to come out on Independence Day. <laughs> you know, I mean, we really, that, you know, we had a whole marketing idea built around Independence Day that, that ended up really working for that. Yeah, it's probably. And then, of course, the marketing department did a great job, too, at the studio. They were amazing. It's it you know those kinds of things. There's always like like that one guy that's in there like, well, but what if it was that, you know? And then everybody, you know, listens to that guy. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What if it was that, you know? And I, I can't yeah. imagine Independence Day being named anything else. So, cheers to uh, uh, you said. How, how about Invasion Earth? I think that was. Invasion, Invasion Earth was the best one they came up with. Yeah, Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. That, so here's to Dean Devlin for saving we'll to that. our Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Ooh. That's tasting good tonight. Um, well, something you mentioned there, mm. that a movie is not done until a week before it comes out. I mean, what, what's, what, what's happening? I mean, are you still shooting or are you just editing? Like what, um, what are the, you know, take and, me through the, I guess, for... take me through the process of making a movie, I guess. Sure. So obviously we start out with, um, a script or, or it's an idea that we hire a writer to write. Um, then you've got to get it set up at a studio. Um, if you have a deal with a studio, like at Legendary, obviously we had a deal with the studio, so it was easy to get the project set up there. But um, before that, um, you know, we'd have to go in and, and basically sell it to a studio. Um, once you got that, oh, now I have to tell a little quick story about that. So Independence Day. So I told you, the guys told me the first, the first dinner we had after I joined their company, right? I became president of Centropolis, their company. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were pitching me um, the idea for Independence Day. And they said, we're going to go off. Uh, we're flying to Puerto Vallarta. We're going to write the script. It's going to take us about six weeks. We're going to come back. We're going to pitch it to the studios. And, you know, it, we are going to tell them that we need to be greenlit immediately. We're going to get it set up in a month. And then we're going to go shoot. And I was thinking in my head, yeah, right. You know, it never happens that fast. Never happens that fast. So they went off to Puerto Vallarta. They wrote the script in four weeks. They fly back. Uh, they got here on a, on a on a weekend. It went out to all the studios on Monday. 
by, I think, Tuesday, we had an offer from every single studio except Disney. Um, wow. This giant bidding war started. And by Friday, we had 20th Century Fox. And part of the agreement was we got to start prepping the movie. It's greenlit immediately. That means they're going to pay all the money to make the movie. And we get to start preparing for it on Monday. So it literally happened like that. But so we go through that process. We we um, we get it set up with the studio. There's a huge amount of pre-production where we're scouting locations, rewriting the script, hiring the actors, um, you know, going through table reads and everything with the actors to improve the uh, the dialogue, um, deciding where to shoot, which is a huge huge part of it, complicated part, because there are all sorts of different tax incentives depending on where you, what state you shoot in or what country you shoot in. Um, so that all gets settled. Then we fly all the crew out to wherever we're shooting. Um, the shoot can take, on a big movie, can take five months, five or six months. On a smaller movie, maybe three months, two months. Um, and so you've got 500 people on location making the movie. And then you come back and the, the heavy duty work starts on editing and visual effects and all that kind of stuff. And the bigger the visual effects movie is, the, the, the more time you need in post-production to develop all that stuff. Sure. Because on big movies like, like Independence Day, as I said, you're actually um, pushing the envelope of what's possible. I mean, you're literally um, hoping that the technology improves enough so you can do the stuff that you said you were gonna do. Um, by the end, because it's a developing technology all the time. Right. Um, so then you're going through that process. You're also, uh, you get a first cut of the movie, you start screening it for test audiences, you develop the sound and everything, um, all the sound effects that go into the movie. And um, then after you screen it for a test audience, you may go, hmm, they're still not understanding this part, or you know, something's not working in the story. At, at that point, and remember, to release a big movie, you've got to, the studio has to set the date like a year in advance or more. So they've already told us, hey, we're releasing this on July 2nd. You know, you guys are going to be ready no matter what. And so, you know, it gets to June and you're working on it and you may find that there's a scene that you need to change or something. So you'll go off and shoot weeks before the movie's coming out. You might still be shooting a scene for the movie or oh, fixing wow. a little thing on the end or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So you know, it gets incredibly stressful and there's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at risk for sure. the studio too. So I imagine like, you know, COVID threw a big wrench in uh I mean, we know that COVID threw a big wrench in in uh movie release dates, but that seems like the industry kind of like pivoted to, you know, streaming like Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or, you know, Paramount uh, with like the Spongebob movie. I, I just threw that out there because my boy's right. probably watching it right now. But, uh, you know, so what's that, uh, what have you seen, like the how's the industry kind of reacted to, you know, the shutdown of movie theaters and everything? Well, it's been a really, really tough time for the business. I mean, it's it obviously killed the theatrical business and that is the main economic driver for everything we do, certainly in the big studio movie level kind of thing. Now, and it's also obviously accelerated what's going on in the streaming world because streamers were just, you know, over the last two years, we're just starting to really compete with theatrical movies in terms of being able to make big movies that were, you know, for what we call four quadrant movies that appeal to 
you know, really big segments of the population. Um, that's obviously happened a lot faster, um, but it's kind of killed that theatrical um, experience. And also from a production point of view, obviously there's nothing more, I mean, unless you're thinking about a mosh pit, there's nothing more than a shooting a movie that gets a whole bunch of people crowded into a very small space, all breathing on each other. You know, you think about shooting in a, if we're shooting a scene in a living room, I mean, we've got 50 people in that living room, right? Mm. Yeah. All packed up against each other. So, so it really obviously shut the whole business down for a little while in terms of being able to shoot anything that's just slowly coming back. And these movies, you know, but production is still not anywhere near to what it was uh, before COVID hit. And that you're going to see the impact of that, I think, just starting now over the next few months with, you know, less things coming out than there would normally normally be. Um, things that would have been in production couldn't really start production until later than they thought. Yeah. On the other hand, you've got all these movies that were supposed to come out in late 2020 and early 21 that have been postponed. So there's going to be this, you know, once things open up, there's going to be like an incredible lineup of movies coming out in the movie theaters which is going to be pretty exciting. Like there'll be a giant movie every week. Yeah. I, I, I look forward to that. I miss, I miss movies. I don't, I don't think I miss movies as Me much too. as I miss live music, but I do miss them. So mm. what did you think of the, uh, of the Michter's 10? thought it was beautiful. It's really nice. I've got a, I've got a bottle of Michter's, um, but not this, um, not this one, not the single, single barrel. Um, that I really enjoy and it's just it's smooth. It's easy drinking Tastes great. It's hard to beat So now we go to we go to the king of Kentucky Now is the is this your is the Michter's your your victor of the ten-year-olds? Wow, it would be tough between the Michters and the Henry McKenna. The Henry McKenna is pretty great. I definitely see what you see in it. Yeah, I might lean a little toward the Michters, but they're 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 both really hard to beat. Awesome. Well, so we have a tie. Sounds like. <laughs> are you going to break the tie, or are you not going to go out on that limb? Ah, uh, you know. I'm with you. It's it's a taste off. I think the uh, the Michters is bringing more butterscotchy, brown sugary. Touch of molasses. It's a tight one, man. Yeah, as I said, though the Michters is pretty hard to beat. That's it. Yeah, I think I think I think tonight I'm leaning toward the Michters. I think I'm leaning that way. And I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you sharing that bottle with me. It's gonna it's gonna bring a lot of enjoyment around here for a while. Awesome. Make <laughs> when Shaw comes over, you know, you'll have to. You don't tell him I sent it to you because he's gonna be like, well, he didn't send me that one. I get hit up. I get hit up. I get hit up almost weekly about, hey, you haven't sent me any good bourbon lately. Tell but, him after uh, he goes and makes about thirty movies, then then you'll send him one. And yeah. he comes on your show, then you'll <laughs> then you'll send him one. <laughs> that's gonna be my that's gonna be my play to him from now. I'm like, hey, 
you know, Shaw, you haven't gotten me on a movie yet, so you know, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, all right, so here we are to the King of Kentucky. Now, this one's packing some heat. We're looking at 131 proof, but we should never let proof be um, a detractor of uh, of flavor. But feel free to add water if you're mm -hmm. if that proof just feels like it might be too much. I'm but gonna the, I'm gonna give it a shot here. I mean, it's coming off really heavy. I mean, it's like yeah, real heavy, like pure molasses heavy. It's eye-wateringly heavy. Yeah, that Beautiful is Beautiful color, by the way. Absolutely. Just talking about the color. Look at that. That's just... Beautiful. Gorgeous. That is yummy. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I, I love this product. It has always done well in my blind tastings. I'm not in the mood for it right now. You know, it's kind of, mm. you know, it's kind of like you know watching a movie. You're in a mood for a comedy, or you're in the mood for a certain type of food. I don't really want like the big, heavy, you know, thick bourbon right now. I kind of want to. I kind of want something a little softer. It's weird. It's very weird. But um, you know, I I'm not being analytical here. I'm just being like in a in a tasting moment here with a with a friend. So that's um, you right. know a ve very different experience than than doing like a blind tasting. Oh, but. for sure. But it's but it's really um, it's got great flavor. It's just really bold. It's big. I mean, not just in terms of the alcohol content, but the but just the the flavors are really bold, which is nice. Yeah, it's it's definitely bringing it. So mm -hmm. now we're going to go like a licorice kind of a bit to it. You know, I mean, listen, I'm getting I am getting so much molasses on this. It's like I can't almost taste anything else like in, you know, molasses. Mm -hmm. Molasses is just like, you know, whether it's sorghum molasses or regular molasses, it's just it, it's it's um, it's just one of the most unique flavors and when I get it in there, it kind of dominates. But, you know, nose-wise, it's got mm -hmm. some... It's got some sweetness there. But it's oily, molasses-y. Um, there's some spice. You know, the licorice is not there for me, but I think that might be also the overwhelming amount of... Uh, molasses I'm getting and I can definitely see I can definitely see that being uh, licorice -y. but um, uh, uh, I don't want to say it but I'm going to kind of say it like I'm turned off by it tonight like this is this is not my jam and this is this is tonight well, like you said it, it's a it's where it's we're all about always, what the mood is right it's actually it's all about the mood it's all about the different feel for the taste and it's like in what i taste today it'd be very different from how i taste tomorrow and and to be honest with you it's a personal journey and this is a shocker to me because going into this tasting i kind of pegged that as being my my top one so mm -hmm. there you go 
Interesting. Well, that's the way it works. Okay, I have one. Uh, I got a quick quiz for you. All right. I just pulled this off my wall for a second. Who's that? <laughs> that is that is that the kid from The Hangover? Yes, it's Baby Carlos. Yeah, Baby Carlos. <laughs> that's actually him. Looking good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a shot. This is a promo shot from the movie. <laughs> That's awesome. The kid is about twelve now. <laughs> Gosh, is that movie that old? Yeah, two thousand and nine. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It, and you didn't work on the other two. Did you work on the other two? Um, I was. Uh, yeah, I was president of production at Legendary, and we, but I did not produce the other two. Okay. But we 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 finance them and we I, I supervise production on them. So I guess I guess help me uh, and uh, I just poured uh, the two ninety one. So help me. Okay. Help help my audience and essentially me understand the the various roles in in the movie business and and what they do. Like I understand the executive producer to essentially be the financier and the head honcho over the whole thing. Am I right in that? Is that accurate? Um, you know what? It, it's um, it, this answer will be kind of confusing, but it varies um, depending on how the movie gets set up. But I can tell you, for a producer, there. First of all, if you think about producer versus director, think about the producer as the general manager of a baseball team, for example. Okay. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's hiring. He's putting the team together. He's handling the finances. He's got to make sure that they're making a profit. He's hiring the coach. Um, you know, he's working with the coach to pick all the players, all that kind of stuff. But the coach is the director, right? I mean, the director is like the coach of a baseball team. Um, the producer has three kind of main functions. And usually when you see a movie, you'll, you'll see credits for a, a couple of different producers on, on, on the head credits. And between the producers and executive producers, they're filling three main roles. One is the creative role, working with the director to make the script better, working with, uh, um, you know, working to read actors to find the right actor for the role along with the director um uh hiring the director right finding the right director a very very creative role for the producer there the second role that a producer is filling is financial the producer is you know he's basically the head of that company so he's got to go out and find the financing for it sometimes that means going you know pitching it to studios sometimes it means going out and finding a bunch of investors and putting them together. So that's the second role. The third role is what sometimes in the business is called the line producer. That's the guy who's showing up with the director on the set every single day from you know 16 hours a day or whatever it takes, working with the director on the spot to help the director create the movie that he wants to make. And literally making, you know, I mean, it's pouring down rain and we got no place to go. What are we gonna shoot? you know, figure it out. Um, you know, something's, you know, it's, it's, it's all the things that go, you know, there's an actor that won't come out of his trailer. Somebody needs to go talk to him and, you know, calm him down. Right. I mean, I've done that many times. <laughs> really? So 
it's it's the person who's sitting there with the director day by day, essentially as his right hand person, helping them, you know, helping him solve the problems and and get the movie made. So that's kind of the three roles that a producer is filling. And when you see the credits, you really have no idea who's doing what. That's kind of behind the scenes. Um, they now the producers guild is now involved. So they'll in terms of like who gets nominated for an Academy Award, they'll usually now pick three people that are involved with the picture and those will be the people that can actually get nominated but it's for any layman just watching the movie it's pretty hard to tell who's doing what yeah um yeah yeah i mean but then if if you're thinking about the director the director's the the director is like that coach of the baseball team the director is involved in every creative aspect and and also a certain amount of the business aspects of making that making that movie and in terms of how they interact a lot of it depends on how powerful is the producer or the producers and how powerful is the director. You know, if you're, you know, if you're working with Steven Spielberg, that's why Steven Spielberg is producer on all his movies, right? Because he's, there's no question who's the boss on there. But you may have a very experienced producer who's making a, a movie with a first-time director. He's steering that person very carefully in terms of, um, you know, obviously, you want you want to give him creative freedom, but you know he's going to be very involved in terms of helping that person avoid pitfalls and making sure that they're able to get the movie that they want to make. What's a what's a move that uh, that you've seen a director make on a set that really changed the outcome of a movie? And I know there's probably a lot of them, but. You know, again, the layman just kind of see is on the as on the outside and kind of feels like everything's in the script, everything's kind of formulated, but there's a lot of numbers moving in between. What's a move a director has made that's really changed the film? Wow, I, I don't know if anything comes to mind right away. Uh, the, I'll, I'll start, and maybe something will come to me, but I'll start by saying that that every director has a different way of working. Um, there are, um, I mean, I would say at one end of the spectrum is a guy like Zack Snyder. When we were shooting 300 or, um, the other movies we did with, with Zack, we did The Watchmen and we did, um, um, Sucker Punch. Zack shows up in the morning and he's got a big whiteboard and it's got panels that some of, some of that somebody else has drawn or, or the storyboard and some that he sketched out of every single shot he's going to do that day. And the panel is organized shot by shot with how he's going to do it. This is the first shot of the day. This is the second shot of the day, third shot of the day. And every time he shoots that shot, he puts a red mark through that one. That one's done. He literally has mapped out the entire thing in his head. And that's, I mean, to an incredible level of detail. And then you'll see uh, on the other end of the spectrum as a director, these tend to be more directors that are either writers or known as actors directors where they just they really don't know how they're going to end up cutting the movie or even how the scene is going to play that day they just get together with the actors they run through things they may come up with a whole bunch of stuff on the spot that they think is going to work and then they set up the cameras and they and they run it and they have no idea really how it's going to necessarily cut together but it's all about how are they getting that performance out of the actor? So it's really been interesting to, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of big directors and on a lot mm-hmm. of different movies and kind of seen all those different styles. And 
it's not like one is better than the other, um, but it, it just depends on how does that person access their creativity. Um, it's certainly a little easier to work with somebody like Zack Snyder because everybody knows what they're going to do that day, you know, yeah. but um, um, there, there's more, more than one way to get a great result. Well, thanks for sharing that. We just, uh, uh, you, you kind of like, you know, it's a good, it's actually a good segue into what we're tasting here. We're tasting 291. This is a Colorado bourbon. And people tend to think of bourbon just having to be made in uh, Kentucky. But this is made in Colorado, and it's finished with Aspen Staves. So it's smoky. It's a very different style. I'll be fascinated to hear your thoughts on this because it's so different. Well, it's, yeah, it's definitely much more of a, it's a rye, right? So. Did I send you the rye? Spicy. Yes. I've got the 291 small batch Colorado rye. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm not tasting the rye. <laughs> <laughs> I grabbed the wrong one. Got the wrong one, I'm, Bill. Well, I'm glad we got that right. I'm glad we figured it out right away so that we weren't going, Fred, I don't taste any of what yeah. you're What's that? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Hmm. <laughs> But I really like this this distiller in Colorado. Um, he's he's a he he's a bit of a maverick uh, with some of the things he's doing. But uh, he's also a really good guy. He's a former fashion photographer, you know, and he used to photograph like you know Angelina Jolie um, and uh, Sam Elliott and you know, a lot of actors, you know, for uh, artistic campaigns and just a really incredible talent you know kind of a new a new wave of talent that's entering the game he, he'd be someone that i think would would sit down with you and chat with you about um about the industry so he, he's definitely an interesting cat and a creative definitely a creative and i, th I think he actually has a little bit of experience in that i think he did some photography for f some of the studios back in the day but but just a oh, great guy yeah now, when you when you look at um, when you look at the future uh, of the movie industry, it looks. I mean, can can anyone predict what it looks like in the future? Because it's it's it seems like it, the last couple years there's been more changes in it from a social perspective, also from a technology perspective. The movie industry, you know, in five years. Is going to be night and day than what it is today for sure right yeah i mean all i can do i i don't think anybody knows where it's going to end up but but we can certainly speak to the trends that are going on on the social front i mean it's it's pretty exciting what's been going on there that um movies are getting very inclusive they're getting very um um very forward. I, I mean, we're seeing a lot more colorblind casting, and I and and sometimes that's sort of frowned upon to use the term colorblind casting. But but the idea that you can, I mean, you you can cast really somebody of any race to play any role in a movie, right? Mm -hmm. And that's and and it doesn't have to 
And the race is, is not a factor at all in the way the, you know, the way their character is portrayed. And that's, that's an exciting development and certainly making it much more inclusive for people of color in terms of being able to participate in the business because, you know, they've had it tough for a very, very long time from that perspective. Um, from the technological perspective, obviously streaming is here to stay and it's become, going to become more and more a factor, uh, more and more like the dominant force in how people get their entertainment. And what we're seeing, you know, we're talking about this uh, theatrical releases. What we're seeing is that's being squeezed closer and closer together with when a movie starts streaming to where now you're seeing a lot of things, including I think every Warner Brothers movie that's going to start streaming essentially the day that it plays in the theaters. And that's something that would be would have been unheard of just a couple of years ago. It was always you play it in the theater for two months at least two to three months, and then it starts into these other platforms because the idea is you don't want to cannibalize that theatrical, theatrical because that's there's so much money for us involved in that theatrical, and mm -hmm. it's also a great driver from a marketing point of view in terms of of what happens with all the things down the road. But it just seems like audiences are just not willing to wait anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, it's now becoming that idea of that you can release a, a movie, you can stream it as a premium experience the day that it opens. And well, I don't really see that going away. Well, and I also, I mean, I also think about all the pirating that has gone on, that used to go on. Um, I remember when I was overseas in the military and, you know, bootleg DVDs were coming out before, three months before anything ever showed up in, in theaters. And so... Uh, you know, does the streaming kind of, does that nullify some of the pirating that's out there? I mean, or does it open it up even more? Uh, it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's a constant problem for us. Um, but it, it does help a little bit in terms of getting that movie exposed very quickly to a much bigger audience, as opposed to when releasing it, we release in the theater and, somebody figures out a way to get in there with a video camera and record it. And then suddenly they're making, you know, bootleg copies of it all over the place. But it's, it's a huge problem. I mean, we, I, I spent a lot of time in China because legendary entertainment, we had a lot of interests in China. Um, and it seemed like every Chinese person I talked to had seen the hangover multiple times. They loved it. They thought it was one of the greatest movies. Um, they couldn't stop talking about it, right? Everybody had seen it. You know how much money we made off the hangover in China? Zero. Wow. <laughs> because it was it was pirated. Everybody had seen a pirated copy. Wow. So that's changing. I mean, I, I think all that kind of stuff is changing for the better. That was now 12 years ago. But, um, you know, that's pretty tough to your business model when, you know, the, the biggest market by audience is basically shut down you know i mean my books have been pirated and you know we've tried to we've caught them we've you know one of my books was like uh you know downloaded 12 13,000 times and you know it just it it feels uh and i know it that's minuscule in comparison to the hangover but as like the creator of something man i just kind of like it just it's like stabbing you in the in the heart a little bit, uh, you know. Uh, 
uh, pirating, you know, a book or music, it just, I don't know, it, it, to me, it, it damages the art and those who listen to it and enjoy it, they'll, and they just like it for free. I, it's just hard to understand until you've created something and you don't get money for it when someone's using it, you know? It, and yeah, Hank, no, ultimately it's really hurting, it's hurting the creators, you know? I mean, yeah. and and you see that most starkly in the mu- in the music business. I mean, when people are stealing something like that, that's that's right out of the artist's bottom line, you know, out of their pocket. And it's hard, it's hard for the, the everyday person to... To appreciate that, you know, sometimes, but if you're on the other side, it hurts. And this is, um, as we go to our headliner for the evening, A.H. Hirsch. This is, uh, anytime I get to bust this out, it's a treat. (laughs) Absolute treat. Sixteen year. That's a Cheers, nice my dark friend. camera color. Cheers. I'm a gorgeous color. It's very kind of got a buttery taste to me in a nice way yeah it's almost pure butter mm-hmm. I mean we're both we're both kind That's of silent delicious. here <laughs> now I've had this many times before and it, it it's different every time um, not because the whiskey's different but because I'm tasting it in a different time and it is Brown sugar and butter, man. And it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's got yeah, I was gonna say it's got a like a caramel kind of but yeah, brown sugar it, would do it too, wouldn't it? It's it's so it's so beautiful. It's just it's like it's layered. Where's this one made, Fred? Well, this was distilled in Pennsylvania at the former uh, Michter's distillery there in 1974 Um, the stocks were sold in the open market and brought to Kentucky and aged out here and was bottled in um, in the 1990s so Wow. Yeah. A tale of two states. Well, it's a good example of how well something can hold up once it's in the bottle, isn't it? Yeah. And I had to change the cork out on this one. It looks like I'm going to have to change it out again. Um, It's a little soft there. But... um, Now, with with whiskey, do you ever need to think about putting a little nitrogen in there or anything to preserve? Yeah, it, gases it, gases start. That it, 
yeah, gas is starting to come uh, come a little bit more common in this space. And it's been around for a while, but, you know, the fact is I see something like that. My mind is going to, like, I need to call my buddy up and have him come over and we'll we'll finish it off tonight with a cigar. And I think that's... That's, that's, that's a kind of, much better way to deal with yeah. it. <laughs> that's kind of how I think. Um, by the way, do you smoke yeah, we cigars? Could, we could do all this chemistry on it. Yeah, right? Yes, I do. All right. Well, next time I'll, I'll have to yeah. do some cigars. But yeah, there's there's so many cool so many cool things to do with whiskey with your friends. It's just it's wonderful. Uh but but yeah, gas is uh that stuff is being used in a much lesser degree than um than wine, but it it is being used. But it's mm-hmm. not I I don't think it's as uh as well uh proven and documented as it is in wine. Right. Well, you've got something that's a lot more stable than wine. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's no yeast here. It's really all you have to worry about is ox the the oxygen getting in. But um, as we kind of like, you know, uh, assess this a little bit, and you know, kind of move on. What are your what are your uh, kind of aspirations in the in the spirit space? Do you do you hope to see your uh, I guess apparatus is that the right term or or device or uh, yeah uh, process might be processor a process do you do you hope to see the uh, your your processes and in, in you know as common as like chill filtration absolutely absolutely no I mean the the one of the we've we've only shown it to a couple of distillers so far and one of the distillers actually wants to use it to recreate their product and they're not even they're not changing the brand or anything else they're they're actually just recreating the way they make it and by virtue of the fact that they can ultimately process it through our through our system so yeah that's where we want to end up with it that's awesome well i look at i look at like what we just tasted here as like one of the as one of the great uh, one of the greats in um, in whiskey. Uh, this is this is this is on my top ten all time greatest uh, bourbons uh, ever made. Mm-hmm. And I it's... would love to know what is your favorite all time film. And you can't you can't name one that you worked on. So what what's your favorite all time film? <laughs> um. Wow, it's it. You know what? My if I was my top ten is not an unusual top ten for the most part. All right. Um, but if I had to pick an all-time favorite, it it just comes down to um, the overall production and look and everything else, and it's Lawrence of Arabia. Oh wow, that's it's, a great one. It's it's a great movie, but but I'd have trouble picking. It would be Lawrence of Arabia, The Godfather. Um, and Casablanca. Nice. Those are the top three. The top ten gets a little more um, contemporary. Gets a little bit more dicey. Those are probably the top three. All right, of the twenty-first yeah. century. Of the twenty-first century. Then I might think about picking one of my own films. All right, let's let's <laughs> do I it. Won't. No, no, let's throw it in there. You're one, uh, pick one of your own. 
I mean, uh, I for pure entertainment, The Hangover is pretty, pretty hard to beat. And it's a shame it's, it it's didn't win Best easy. Picture. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> comedies don't usually do too well on Best no, Picture. Comedies don't do this well. This year could be a different. This year could be different. I think Borat has a shot at it. Well, I mean, it's certainly at a nomination anyway. Not probably not to win, but as, you know, as, here's the here's the thing about. Here's the thing about Borat is that, I mean, I know that painted as a comedy, but I mean, that really kind of played a a pivotal role in our society. And, and it almost, it, it almost, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting to the point in society where satire is becoming common, common language. It's not even, not even satirical anymore. It's just, it's like a new form of like over uh, dramatization, you know, drama over drama, and and you see it on Twitter, uh, you see it everywhere, right? And, every, and everyone's just trying to call everybody out all the time, and Borat was really just kind mm-hmm. of like like a condensed version of what we see on social media every day, and I mean, right. it play, it played a big role of the last year for sure. Yeah, no question. No question. So, do you do you uh, do you ever get a vote in that? Do you do you get to do you get to play uh, you know determiner of of I do. I get to vote in. Um, I get to vote for. I'm a member of the directors guild and the producers guild, so I get to vote for um, both of those awards, directors and producers, and that's. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. And it's always interesting every year just trying to, you know, really differentiate when you look at a film, but the difference between the best picture and the best director. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be fairly subtle. I mean, there are some movies that are best pictures that are well-directed, but that might not be the the, the critical component. That'd be rare. I, 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 I wouldn't say that happens very often, but there are... Um, Sometimes it makes sense why there might be one and not the other, but typically the best directed picture is also the best picture, and best sound too, right? Like usually the best sound is very is very close to being either the winner or the best uh, picture. Yeah, yeah, but not necessarily. The best sound is is um, will typically be associated with big movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think about nineteen seventeen, and it's just because. If you're working on a movie like 1917 last year, you know the big World War Two, World War One war movie, you just have so much more. You know the sound is just so much more layered. You've got so much more to work with. So typically, it's going to be those kind of big action movies or a big Independence Day would be another example of a movie because obviously it's going to get a lot of attention for the sound just because of all because of all the crazy things that we created for for the movie. You know, little movies are typically not going to win best sound. Sure, it's a big movie thing. Same, same with best visual effects, obviously. Well, Bill, we're we're coming up on an hour and a half, and when uh, when you talk with friends, you don't really realize how uh, how much you're chatting, especially when there's bourbon involved. So, we now have to make the difficult decision of what our favorite was here in the tasting. I know where I'm leaning, but I, I'm curious to know where you are. What What was your favorite that we tasted so far? 
or we'd have nothing else to oh taste. What gosh. was your favorite? Um, yeah, I would probably, um, I would probably, you know, I had a tough time just just picking between the Michters and the uh, Henry McKenna, but I'd probably still stick with the Michters. But just, I actually, as an experience, thought the King of Kentucky was pretty, uh, was a pretty. Um, enjoyable experience and maybe it's just because i never drink i, I never drink anything that's you never I typically you never, hardly ever drink anything that no, high nothing approved. that's yeah nothing that's 131 boy it, yeah it uh yeah it, it wasn't feeling right for me today and so are you sticking with are you going with king mm -hmm. the king no i'm sticking i think i'm going to stick with the mictors so an another up, drink right now an upset here the Michter's 10-year-old is Bill Fay's taste. And that upsets Henry McKenna, King of Kentucky, and A.H. Hirsch, 16-year-old. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a major upset. But you know what? It is actually tasty, and that's why we taste. We don't uh, we taste for ourselves and don't let other people influence our, our thoughts. And that's, uh, I would tell you, you did you did just right you did just fine bill and i'm, I'm going back to hey, the hey i would uh, there are none of those three that i would that i would have any complaints about they're all wonderful i'm they're trying all, the first again right now all delicious and you know we have to taste them again just just to verify right just to just to make sure no other reason it's for we're, we're tasting for science and for mm. posterity here and america you can't forget about america Science in yes, America. Yes, got to. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is? Uh, are there any any cool movies you got coming out uh, that we can expect to see in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? Maybe twenty twenty two, but none of them are far enough along to even talk about yet. The as as we said before, the 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 pandemic really shut almost everything down there are, there are a few things being made here and there mm -hmm. but of the couple of projects i had working on one was something that we were working on that was going to be shot in new york and that was just kind of an impossibility um hopefully you know maybe we'll get some traction back in there again the the issue is that every film is it's kind of a fragile thing and if it doesn't happen when you think it's going to happen then now you kind of have to put everything back together right actors yeah everything sort of everything dissipates and the question is always can you get every can you get those pieces back together yeah i sold the film rights to one of my books and uh i think they were i think they were close to like begin production or something on it and then you know covid hit and they they issued the the forest majeure clause and we're still kind of like in that in that phase but um i i can't imagine I cannot imagine, uh, you know, trying to put together a movie in in the past year's climate. You know, so um, I look at like yeah, what. No, we've had some friends that have. I've had a couple of friends that have had movies that they've been able to actually get off the ground, and I know one of them. They were, I think, it was the first day of shooting, and one of the actors tested positive, and they had to shut the whole thing down. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, that's expensive. Well, the good news is we're getting closer to herd immunity. The vaccine's getting pushed out there. And, um, you know, there seems to be a, a, a little bit more understanding of how to live 
with the current climate. So let's hope that's the future. And by the way, Bill, I don't know if you know this, but whiskey, a lot of people say that whiskey is a very good uh, preventative. So we're in, we're in good shape tonight. Awesome. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great chatting with you. And I look forward to staying in touch. And uh, I'm going to have to go back and uh, rewatch a couple of the, you know, 300 and, and the hangover and hit you up about particular scenes down the road because now, now I'm all fascinated about all these behind the scene things in, in your movie. So, but thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to hanging out more and hopefully next time in person with a, with a bit of whiskey. Cheers, my friend. Me too, for sure. Take care, Fred. My pleasure. And remember, vodka sucks. <laughs> Wasn't Bill just a great interview? I mean, I could talk to him all day. In fact, after after we hung up from that call, we ended up you know, having a few more and just kind of chatting it up. And again, like I said in the interview, we share a lawyer, and uh, Bill and I have gotten to know each other the past few months, and He's a really cool dude. I mean, I really mean that. You wouldn't think someone that is, is as uh, big time as he is in Hollywood would be that cool, you know, and so humble and so willing to just talk to a schmo like me. So uh, if you get a chance, just just go check out his stuff. And if you're in the Distilled Spirits game, I really think you should give uh, give Bill a call as well. And he is, uh, he, he's got something that's uh, that I've seen it in action. And it could it it could change the spirits game a little bit. I think he's really got some tech that could could add to the filtration game. But uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in to the Fred Minnick Show. If you can give us a positive review, however you get your podcast, it really does help our algorithm. It's not easy to have a podcast in a day of a million podcasts. So any review or kind words that you can put out there into the to the cyber worlds it helps us a lot and make sure you're following me on all the social medias just search for my name fred minnick and if you got an idea for a show or a guest hit me up on fredminnick.com that's fredminnick.com but that's going to do it for this week folks remember no licking handrails no licking trash cans and vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer cheers been listening to the Fred Minnick Show brought to you by Michter's American Whiskies and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to fredminnick.com.